the show The Voice, it's interesting because you have these judges, they're sitting in the big red chairs, and their back is to the singer because they only want to be influenced by what they hear. And if they like what they hear, it gets their attention, and that's what causes them to turn the chair, to turn their attention, to possibly uh, coach that person. What I think has happened over the last nine years is there's been a sound that has come from you, this church, and it has gotten the attention of this community. I am not critical of churches. I I thank God for every church, but I, I have to tell you that there are a lot of churches that are just not getting the attention of their community. No one's turning and listening to what they have to say. Sometimes it's because of what they're saying. Sometimes it's because of how they're saying what they're saying. And it just doesn't get the attention. But you have been uniquely empowered, and you have gotten the attention of this community. And so after nine years, you have this unprecedented growth. And I'm just kind of a primer for your incredible celebration of nine years that is the most unique story. It just speaks of God's grace, God's power, God's blessings on you. Why don't you clap for yourselves and all that God is doing? You know, we all have been given a commission to connect wherever we're placed to help people come to know Jesus. Matthew, one of the writers of the New Testament, said it's called a commission. It's a great commission. Over every church, this is written, and we're measured not by another church, but we are measured by how we are living up to that commission, that mission that we have to reach people. And so as we do that, you you try to connect with the best way to reach people. And you are a great study for anybody, any church, on how to do that. So I just come to celebrate the fact that you help people understand who they are. There's an identity crisis going on. Uh, There's a lot of emphasis practically on stolen identity. Matter of fact, a few weeks ago, uh, my truck was broken into, my backpack was stolen, had my computer had my iPad, and let me just recommend something. If you have a backup to your computer, it's a good idea that it's not with your computer. That's why I'm not up here with an iPad today. I'm just, just, thank you for caring so much. That really, thank you. Thank you so much. Such an awesome, loving church. But I, I have LifeLock, and, you know, that kind of monitors your account so that no one can steal your identity. There was enough information in that backpack that they could have stolen my identity. There's a lot of that happening in, in a very real sense. People confused about who they are. They've lost who they are. So I want to talk about this today. If you live with the wrong label, it will mess you up. Let me show you something. This is what's called a hashtag. It's not tic-tac-toe. It is a hashtag. It is part of the the phenomenon in social media, and it's the way you would label a conversation. So if I want to have a conversation with you on Twitter, we hashtag it, and that hashtag will allow us to track it or anyone else to track it. It is an identifier. So let let me try out a few identifiers on you. If you identify with this, you can 
make some noise or something. So hashtag cat lover. Okay, let's try this one. Hashtag not a cat lover. You did, you know, why, why do cats get such a bad, right? You know, it's anywhere you go. Here's one. Hashtag I love my church. So see, it identifies you. You're, you're labeled by that. A hashtag is powerful. A label is powerful. Your identity is powerful. If it's wrong, it can lock God out and it can lock you in. If you have the wrong perception of who you are, then the potential that you have been given by God will never be realized because it gets locked on the inside. And this awesome God of grace and power gets locked out of your life. This is huge. Identity is huge. And so when I come to challenge you and to celebrate you, it is because you've allowed people to discover who they are in God. And that is life-changing. Who has the right to label you? Who has the right to hashtag you? First of all, that would have to be the maker. Let me show you this Nike symbol. Nike, this is the way they label all of their products. They have the right to do that because they are the maker. If I go and purchase a pair of Nikes, then I have the right to take a marker and I can put my name on those shoes because now I am the buyer. Let me show you another label. Maybe you have a product that is made by this label. I have one right here. So this product is hashtag or labeled by this company. They have the right to do that because they are the maker. If I go into an Apple store and take a marker and just start writing my name on all of the products that are in the store, you come visit me in a very different place. But once I become a buyer, I purchase this phone. It's my phone. So I can write my name on this. So what are we learning by this? It is the maker and the buyer that has the right to label you. It is the maker and the buyer that has the right to set identity. Hashtag, that is a label, that is an identity. It is the only one who has the right to, make, to label you would be that maker. So what do we know about scripture? In Genesis 1, we read that it's God that created you. And yet you have to start there. God created you, and then according to the scripture, the creator acted in such a way as to become the redeemer. Let me show you a passage of scripture. This is awesome. 1 Corinthians 6 says, You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So the creator acted in such a way as to become the buyer. So it is only the maker and the buyer that has a right to set identity, that has the right to label you. So if you're sitting here today and you feel unworthy or you feel hashtag stupid, hashtag addicted, at whatever the label would be, I would say to you, the truth is this, and this is what has gotten the attention of this community over the last nine years, because this is a place that makes it abundantly clear 
compellingly clear that God is creator. He acted in such a way as to be a redeemer. So you don't have to have a label on your life that locks God out and locks you in where your life dysfunction and doesn't work. Like the young man baptized Jake, your life can change because he is both maker and redeemer. So, I celebrate the nine years of you helping people discover that reality. Let's try this one. Hashtag accepted. I want to say this to you, and and it it is probably one of the highest uh, compliments that I can give you as a church. Thank you for accepting people before they change. Most churches have the right theology when it comes to this, but their practice of it can get really messed up. Jesus is coming along one day in a community, and there was a man who was really messed up. His name was Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, it's interesting, he climbs this tree because he wants a vantage point to see Jesus, and Jesus sees him, and this guy's a tax collector, and in that culture, that was hashtag tax collector. That... That was like that was like a cat right there, right? <laughs> that you would have looked at him like you look at cats. So, very unaccepted person. And Jesus comes along, and and holds a conversation with him and says, "Hey, come down because I want to go to your house." There, Zacchaeus, while he's in the tree, Zacchaeus doesn't say, "I'm going to change. I'm going to pay people back like four times what I have taken for them from them." There is no indication of him changing. Jesus accepts him. Jesus associates with him. Jesus goes to his house before anyone in the community has an indication that he is going to change. When a church not only has the right theology, because most churches do, most churches believe you should accept everybody and let Jesus change them. But when it comes to practice, we want to say, Zacchaeus, if you will change, if like you will get really loud while you're up in that tree, while all of our church is listening, and say that I am going to change, I'm sorry for what I've done, I don't want to be this way anymore, and I'm even going to work in such a way to pay back some of what I have taken, then we would love to accept you into our church. That, that tends to be the practice. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm saying of you, you're causing this community to turn and give attention to what you're saying because you have an attitude behind your words. And that attitude is this, we accept you as you are. And we have such confidence in grace that he can change you. We had a guy come to our church six years ago. He had no men's clothing. Now, I'm in Oklahoma. That guy, I have him on video. He he shares the story. He didn't know if he would live. Like, he was going to come to church, didn't know if he would live. Like, that's a great testimony, isn't it? I'm going to go to church. I need, I need help in my life, but I don't know if I will live through it. In three months, 
Now again, this will be six, it's been six years. That day, six years ago, he accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. But his story is this. He was loved. When he came through the doors, people did not say, you know, if you'll change, we can accept you. People just accepted him. And the power of love pressed through to his heart. He accepted Jesus that day. Began a journey of change. I'm telling you, it is the most transformational story I've seen. And in three months, there's a beautiful young lady named Jennifer that will marry him. He is Steve. I've been doing their marriage counseling for six months leading up to their wedding. I just want to compliment you for accepting people before they change. Because if they have to change for you to accept them, you will hinder the growth of what God is doing. Are we we good with that? Hashtag accepted. Let me give you another version of this. We worked with a young lady who had been in 18 foster homes in 18 years. When you get 18, you age out of the foster care system. And so when she was 18 years old, 18 years old, she was emancipated. She had nowhere to go. So we made sure she had ministry. We, we, we took her in. And to hear her story, she said, I, I, I wasn't accepted. Like, if your mom doesn't want you and if your dad doesn't want you and you go to these homes and there are some very nice people, but for various reasons, they could not keep you. By the time you get 18 and you've been in, the eight, in 18 different homes, you don't feel like a daughter. You don't feel like you accept, you're accepted. You don't feel like you belong anywhere or with anyone. You, it's the deepest loneliness, hashtag unaccepted. That was the label. And over a year, God began to work in that young lady's life until I watched her stand in front of a group of people like you and talk about that journey of grace until she said these words, I realize I am a daughter. And she said, I realize I am accepted. And the next statement is a statement I will never forget. She says, I have learned that I'm not an exception to God's acceptance. Neither are you. And because you are helping people to know they are welcome, and then they learn that Jesus accepts them, no matter who's rejected. He accepts them, and grace can change them. You have story after story after story after story after story. Hashtag new. Because good people don't need to become, or bad people aren't just trying to become good. Scripture teaches us that we're spiritually dead, and we're trying to, to find life. It's a whole different, whole different scenario. And, and you have done this so well. When I talk to people about being new, whether they are in church, they've, they've been around what we say and what the Bible teaches or not, it's interesting that when I say, what does it mean to you when we tell you you can be new, like Jesus can make you new? It, they associate it with heaven. Like, yes, yeah, someday everything will be new. And they associate it with that day when everything's going to change. Here's what I celebrate with you today. I think you have helped people in the most powerful way to understand that new begins now. Yes, 
everything will be made ultimately perfectly new when we get to heaven. But new doesn't begin when we get to heaven. New begins now when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Let me show you a powerful passage. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a what? Say it with me. The old life is gone. Say this last phrase. A new life, what? Has begun. The mission of the church that you are fulfilling so well is to help people who are confused about who they are, identity, discover who they are by understanding who their maker and buyer is. I celebrate your mission that you're doing so well to help people feel accepted. The brokenness of society, the dysfunction of relationship has left a generation feeling like they don't belong anywhere. And you're doing such a great job of communicating acceptance. That's the great commission, that you are welcome, you belong. And then finally, new. I'm not talking about renovation. I'm talking about new. When I was 24, I was driving a Geo Metro. Now, that, that is a small, it, first of all, does anyone, has anyone ever had a Geo Metro? Really? Hashtag Geo Metro. It's, it doesn't even have four cylinders. It's a three-cylinder car. And, and I don't know about yours, but mine was really ugly. I mean, it was the worst color green you could imagine. But it only cost me back then $125 a month, and it got great gas mileage. And so it was pretty awesome in that way. But I reached a point where I really wanted a new car. And in trying to communicate this point, about six weeks ago at my church, I showed people a picture of my Geo Metro. And then behind this curtain, I had a, a G-Wagon. That's a Mercedes. It's, it was a $200,000 vehicle. It wasn't mine. Just so I could see, like, oh, he really upgraded. Hashtag upgrade. So it wasn't mine. And I had it on the platform. And so I have up on our screen... The, the picture of the metro, and actually on the platform, this G-Wagon. And I was like, there's no comparison. There's nothing about the metro that is remotely comparable to this vehicle. And I use that to say, when you get saved, you're not just renovated. You don't just get a paint job. You're new. A new creation, as dramatic as those two cars. That's how dramatic it is. And, and that's important because we can think in terms of, of improvement, but the Bible doesn't say improvement. That, behold, you're improved. You are a new creation. A new life has begun. The old is gone. It's like day and night. Matter of fact, some of the metaphors that the Bible uses to talk about it is 
light and darkness, death and life. Peter was talking about this. He says, those of you who have been made new, you've been brought out of darkness into marvelous light. Like there's, there's no comparison. You're not who you used to be. Your past is not your future because you have been made new. A church that can compellingly communicate that you can be made new is a church that will help people. Because we live in a society that makes adjustments. Everybody understands improvements. But this whole idea of being new. Like when I go get my truck washed, they always ask, hey, do you want a fragrance? Like, and I go, yeah, new car. New car. Double shot, I'll stay in here. You can spray me with a new car. Because there's something awesome about new. And so as, if you don't know Jesus, just let me tell you that when you open your heart to Jesus, you don't get an improved life. You get a transformed life. You are made new. Hashtag free. Free. Not just free from things, but you're free to a a life that was designed for you. See, as a Christian, it's not just troubleshooting and getting over what had me down. It is turning from that life to a new life where there is purpose and destiny. Restoration is a powerful word, and restoration is not just restored from what I was in, but it's restored to original intent. That God, at your birth, had a plan for you, a destiny for you, and if you got off course, way off course, and you have surrendered your life to Jesus, He restores you to original intent, He's got works out in your future for you to do that were set in motion for you before you were born. And now the power in you by salvation is going to empower you for the good works that he wants you to do. So free, it's not just I'm no longer addicted. Free is I can be who I was created to be. Now a church that can communicate that It's going to be a church that fulfills the Great Commission. So let me me show you this. I think it sums everything I've set up. This is Joshua 1. I'm sorry, Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. Next slide. So the two men set out and came to the house of, what's the hashtag? A prostitute named Rahab. And they stayed there that night. So we have this lady. She has a label. We see what it is. However, we read, even though she is called a prostitute six times in the first few chapters of Joshua, She has an encounter with God. Now, here's a lady who obviously would not have felt accepted. Her identity is completely messed up. She doesn't feel new, anything but new. 
She's certainly not free. But she has this encounter with God. And it's interesting when you come to the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, it gives this genealogy. And I, I want to show you this. So this is now Matthew chapter 1. Simon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was who? What's, what has dropped? So now she's been changed. Now she's a mother. She's not just a mother. Let's, let's check it out. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. Which means that Rahab was the great-grandmother of the greatest king Israel ever had. When she's turning tricks and she's unaccepted, used and abused, even as a young lady, having her youth taken from her, anything but free, could she have ever dreamed that she's going to be the great-grandmother of the greatest king Israel ever had? See, that's new. That's darkness to light. That's a death-like existence to a life that's abundant and beyond words. Now, here's what to me is even more amazing. If you read chapter 1 all the way to the end, what you find is that this is a lineage that's leading up to the birth of Jesus. And when you take it from the very beginning of the chapter to the end, you find that Rahab is the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. So it's one thing to be the great-grandmother of the greatest king Israel ever had. Hey, she's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. When she's in the darkness of that lifestyle, labeled by total defeat, could she ever imagine a God so gracious she not only could be forgiven and recover an identity of a person with dignity, accepted, made new, free from that kind of lifestyle, but watch this, free to then be part of a, a redemptive story that would change the world. A redemptive story that is the very reason that this church exists, that my church exists, that because Rahab experienced this grace and followed through on her life, along the way, redemption came to me, it came to you. So I celebrate nine years of you as a church helping people on this journey. And I also give you an opportunity today because maybe there's someone here and you feel anything but accepted, anything but new, and you're certainly not free. You can be. You can be. 
And you can be today. You can start your journey today. You have no idea the amazing things God has for you. And I'm not saying that it's easy for you to accept that. That's why I'm trying to show you the story of this lady. There's no way if we could have gotten to her little home there in Jericho before Jericho wall fell down, there's no way we could have gotten to her and said, do you think you might? She would have said, you have lost your mind. There's no way. You You don't know me. And see, people sit in places like this and say, what that guy's saying up there, it's for everybody but me because he doesn't know what I've done. And I'm telling you, everybody sitting on your left, right, in front of you and behind you, and this guy on this stage, we all have a story, and but for the grace of God, none of us would be anything. We're only who we are and doing what we do because of his amazing grace. They're saying the scandal of grace because that is what this is. A man who was perfect climbed up on a cross and took your sin and mine. He died and gave his life rose again so that you could be accepted, made new, totally set free, and live in the destiny for which you were created. Let's give God praise for that. It's awesome. Awesome. Okay. So we'll, I want to invite you just to close your eyes in God's presence. You say, Ron, I need that kind of grace in my life. One of these areas has connected with you as identifying where you You're living with a label that has you so locked up in your emotions, your gift mix, your potential. Relationships don't work for you. It's hard to hold a job. You're locked up on the inside, and God's locked out because you're living with a label that's destructive. If you'd say, Ron, I need God's help, would you just raise your hand right now? God bless you and you and you and you. Anyone else? Say, that's me. God bless you. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you today that while we are celebrating what has been done, it is still happening. Because this story is just beginning for this church. Today, you are using this faith family to reach people. Hands have gone up today because there are people here who your help. And so I pray for each one that right now they would just surrender. As your eyes are closed, let me just say this. You may feel like you're in a free fall. But it's in the free fall you're going to discover that the Lord comes in and He takes hold of you and you're going to learn to fly and you're probably going to soar in ways you could never imagine and you could have never soared like you're going to, but for the free fall. That's where you really learn to fly. So right now, as you surrender, just let grace come into your life like waves on, an, on the shore of the, ocean, of the beach. Just let grace come in. Let it bring in forgiveness. Let it bring in love. Let it bring in power. And let it take away guilt, shame, and sin. Lord Jesus, you are the maker and the redeemer of everyone in this room. It is by your grace, it is by your grace that we are accepted, made new, and set 
thank you for doing this in lives today. And thank you for a church that is living this out in such an effective way. We give you praise for who you are. We give you praise for what you have done. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.